Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, go to that right now. Go to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to actually start in the book of Genesis, wrapping up this last week, we read the last section of Genesis. And the last section of Genesis is really focusing on the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories. And that's where we're going to be hanging out uh, today. So go ahead and turn there. If you have your version Bible app, open that up. You can follow along with the notes we have there. We've got some, um, some uh, additional side notes there and the scripture are there for you and the questions for your community groups. Or you can even go with, uh, through them at home. Uh, with your family as well. But I love the story of Joseph. It's such an intense story, right? It is a crazy story to read. Joseph, he's the 11th of 12 brothers. He is his father's favorite. I don't know what that's like because my brother is my father's favorite. But um, uh, he's he's his father's favorite. We know this partially because um, his father, Jacob, had four wives, but he only really loved one of them. And Joseph was the firstborn of that, of that marriage relationship. So he was his favorite. He loved Joseph. He was even given this coat of many colors, this, this extravagant technicolor dream coat, right? There was, there was a play that I, don't, I didn't watch, but uh, that's out there. It talks about Joseph and his coat of many colors. It was, it was a demonstration of his father's favor to him. He said, son, you're my favorite. All his other brothers are wearing like brown and tan clothes, and Joseph's out there in a rainbow jacket. Like, what? Checking the sheep. Yeah, this one looks good, guys. You know, he's got this, like, beautiful favor of his father on him. And he's out there checking on things and doing this stuff. And not only does it appear that he has his father's favor, his earthly father's favor, he has his heavenly father's favor. Because he begins to have these dreams as a 16, 17-year-old about, uh, if, you read, if you read this this week, he, he's got dreams where he, he has all of his, his bundles of wheat and all of a sudden his bundle stands straight up and all of his, uh, the 11 others bow down to him and his brothers, he tells his brother and his father these things and they're like, how, how, you think you're, we're going to bow down to you? And he's like, well, yeah, that's my dream. He has another dream, 11 stars and the moon and the sun, they bow down to him. And it appears that he even has the favor of his heavenly father on him, but that upsets his brothers. His brothers get jealous. His brothers, in fact, hate his guts. And in chapter, uh, in chapter 37, and reading kind of through, I'll, I'll, I'll give a synopsis of starting in verse 19 through 24, We see this reading out of the New Living Translation. They say to each other, here comes the dreamer. The father says, go find your brothers. They're out wandering. I don't know where they're at. Go check on them. I don't know what they're up to. Go find them. And he has to wander on. He tries to find them. And as they see him coming from far off, they say, here comes this dreamer. And then they say, come, let's kill him and throw him into the cisterns. And we'll tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. We'll see if he really is favored by God. We'll see if he really, he says he's our father. We know he's our father's favorite. He gets treated better than us. But we'll see if his really, his dreams will come true. So they, they said they, when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off this beautiful robe, this, this, this robe that his father gave him, demonstrating his favor. Oh, this is my son. I love him. He, 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 I, he's my favorite. They rip it off of him, it says. And they grab him and they throw him into the cistern. And the cistern or this well was empty. There was no water in it. 
So they rip him off. They, it says that they tore his jacket. They dipped it in goat's blood, and they take it to the, his father. Jacob said the, he's been torn to shreds by a wild beast. And what's interesting is they have this desire to kill him, but instead of killing him, they decide to pull him out of that pit and sell him, and they sell him. Uh, to uh, is the Ishmaelites who are traveling, going down to Egypt. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver, and he becomes a slave and a servant in Potiphar's house. You guys know part of the story? I'm just going to give a recap in case you didn't read it all. But what happens in Potiphar's house as he's serving, he has favor with his master. God is blessing him there, but all of a sudden he gets accused of attempted rape. Says, this man, he tried to rape me, even though we know the story. Potiphar's wife kept pursuing him, pursuing him. He kept denying, 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 saying, I won't do it, I won't do it. But in a moment, she tears again his robe off of him, and he has to flee for his life. If I was Joseph, I'd stop wearing jackets. Because <laughs> it appears that they always get him in trouble, right? This covering that he had kept getting ripped off of him as he was running for his life. It's crazy. He gets thrown into prison. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he's in there, but we can speculate by, because by the time he begins to rule in Egypt, he's a certain age. So he's in prison, get this, for something he did not do for 10 years. 10 years, friends. He has no rights. He's, he's, he goes from a slave now to an imprisoned slave. But the Bible tells us that God is still with him, and he has favor with the prison guard. All of a sudden, as he's in there 10 years, the cupbearer of the, of the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, and the baker come in. They, they are arrested because, because the, the king thinks that they're plotting something against him. And they have dreams, and they don't know what it means. And they tell Joseph, and he interprets them. He tells the cupbearer, you're going to be restored in three days. He tells the baker, your head's going to be cut off from you. You're going to be hung in three days. He says, when these things happen, do not forget me in this prison. What happens? cupbearer is restored, the baker is hanged, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. He's in there for another two years before anything happens. Then God decides, as a, as a famine is about to hit the land, he decides to warn Pharaoh in dreams about what's about to take place. And in those moments, now the cupbearer, as he hears Pharaoh's dreams and no one can interpret them, says, oh, my bad. There was a guy in prison who interpreted my dreams. Let's go find him and see what he has to say. So this famine that, that uh, is about to take place, only Joseph knows about it by the Spirit of God. And Joseph comes in and he tells him, look, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so severe that they're going to they're eat up all of the years of plenty that were before them. And by the Spirit of God, Joseph interprets, and he is restored from a servant slave prisoner to the second in command over the most powerful nation in all the world. And this famine is so great that even it affects all the nations even around Egypt to the place where it, it reaches up and touches Joseph's family in the land of Canaan. And all of a sudden, Jacob hears about land, the, Egypt has plenty of food and he sends 10 of his 12 sons. Now he thinks he only has 11. He keeps the youngest behind. He says to the 10, go and get food. As they go, they approach Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. How could they after 20-something years? 21 years of not seeing their brother. But he sees them. He knows all of them together. And he sees them. And there's a beautiful exchange that you need to see where he, he first accuses them of being spies. And I think that's probably just a little bit of uh, brotherly love there. Saying, hey, jerks, remember when you threw me and a sister in a pit? Yeah, you guys are spies. And you're dirty, rotten people. So I'm not going to feed you. 
but it's a test. And as he does that, then he decides to feed them and they pay and he gives the money back to them and he sends them along the way. But all the while they say, look, well, as he's interrogating them, they say, we have another brother. He's down there. We had one that died. So he imprisons one of them and says, I'm going to keep this one until you come back. They don't send them back. The father, Jacob, says, I'm not sending my youngest son. I'm not giving him up. I'm not letting him go. So his other brother, Simeon, is still in prison uh, until they run out of food and have to come back for more. That's crazy, too. They didn't have like one meal or two meals. They ate for months before they came back for their other brother. Finally, he comes back. They have another exchange. He sees his younger brother, Benjamin. He, he uh, gives them food. He, he feeds them. He loves them. And then he sends them off, but he also puts a cup in there as a test, I think. The Bible doesn't really tell us why he does that, but he puts a cup in the bag of Benjamin. And uh, as they say, hey, look, we didn't steal your stuff, but the one who did has to die. And it happens to be in Benjamin's thing. I think it's a test. Joseph was saying, are my brothers still wicked? Will they still throw the youngest one under the bus to save themselves? Because that's what they did to him in the cistern when they didn't believe that they were favored by the father. Will they turn on my youngest brother too like they turned on me? They decide, look, we can't do this. We've got to go back. They all go back together. In this moment, Joseph reveals himself. He says, I, I, I am the brother you thought was dead. He, he gives them uh, his grace. He, the Bible says that he, he loves on his brothers. He says he weeps on his brothers. I love that. I love that picture that we see through the story of Joseph as he's reunited with his brothers. Finally, he reveals himself. They weep on each other. They, they hold on to each other. And what beautiful thing is that Joseph is reunited with his father, his father who thought he was dead, he'd never see his son again. The Bible tells us that as he, not only does he see his son alive again, he even gets to see his son's sons, something he thought he would never take place. And it just reminds me of the amazement of God's faithfulness and his fulfillment of the promise. But I, what I want us to look at today in this part of this incredible story of, is what it reveals to us about who God is namely his character, his nature, and how he foreshadows for us, not only for us, but particularly in this moment for the nation of Israel, who Christ is and what the Savior, the Messiah, will look like through the story of Joseph. And, and as we do that, we'll also pull out some life applications. But I'm going to write down a few things that we see in stories, in Joseph's story and how, we, how it reveals to us who Jesus is and, and Joseph, I believe, is a, is a precursor or an archetype of Christ, meaning that he gives us a, a small glimpse of what Jesus will be doing for us many thousands of years later. Jesus uh, is revealed in the story of Joseph, and really Jesus is the better Joseph, if you will, as you read through these stories. So you see the amazement of his grace and his faithfulness and his character and his integrity, and Jesus is all of those things and better. And so we're going to look through that, and I think we're going to see uh, what this reveals to us and why it's important for us to see Jesus in this moment and in the story of Joseph. For the first one, so there's, bear with me, there's 16. I'll go through them quickly. I'll only, I'll only hang on to the ones that I think I can elaborate on a little bit. But be with me, stay with me on this one. The very first one that we see in connection with Joseph and with Jesus is they're sent by God. And also, you could say that they're sent by their father, right? We know that, that 
the reason Joseph went looking for his brothers is because his father said, go find them. They've been wandering off. They, they, I don't know where they're at, and I want you to go and find them and tell me what they're doing, right? So he goes out. Obviously, when they see him coming, they hate him, and they kill him. There's a lot of semblance there for what God did with us. We were the brothers that were wandering in the wilderness, not knowing where we're going, lost. We were separated from our father. And he sent Jesus and said, go find your brothers and bring them home to me. And when we saw him and he entered into our world, we hated him and we killed him. There's a, there's a picture that we see, right? Uh, so that we would see that the Messiah was, would, be, would come, but he would be rejected even by his own brothers. And not only do we see that from just the picture of Jacob sending Joseph, but we see it later on in Genesis chapter 40, 45 when Joseph literally tells his brothers, uh, don't worry because the evil that you did to me uh, was actually God bringing me here to save lives. This is what he says. I'll read it uh, verse by verse, starting in verse 5. It says, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been here now in the land two years, and there will yet be five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. So he recognizes, look, I'm, I went through all of this issue, all of this trial, all of this pain, but it's not your fault. God sent me here to preserve life. And we see this is, this is exactly what happened in Jesus. Jesus, was, he came, he lived a perfect life, he, he died a sinless death. And uh, even though it was our sin that put him on the cross, he said, it's for the benefit of all. Your sin put me on the cross, but I overcame and I brought life for everyone who would believe in me. I love that this, this idea, also we spoke last week about surviving through a famine and talking about digging deeper wells. And what I love about this picture of Joseph and how it reveals to us Jesus, God knew that there was a famine coming, so he sent Joseph into the land to preserve life. God knows that we're going to go through famines in our life, but he sent Jesus before us to prepare life in the middle of our famine. Isn't that beautiful? So even when you're going through difficult seasons and difficult times and dry places, yes, we need to dig deeper, but the well of the water that we're looking for is actually Jesus himself, who is there ahead of us, uh, preparing for us uh, stuff to survive in the famine. And we see that through the story of Joseph. The second one is this, and I've already mentioned it, but he is betrayed by his brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. What I find interesting, sometimes when we, that's horrible, uh, okay, I made it better. Uh, when, sometimes when we read the story of Joseph, oftentimes when we're going through hardship or we're going through struggle, it's, it's easier for us to put ourselves in the place of Joseph, isn't it? When you're going through ridicule or betrayal or, or, or people are attacking you, you're like, man, I'm just like Joseph. But I think the better thing to do is to not put ourselves in the seat of Joseph, who is the hero of the story. Can I tell you a little secret when you read the scripture? We're never the hero of the story. We are never the hero of the story. Jesus is always the hero. In fact, we are the brothers who rejected Jesus. Sometimes you'll say, I've heard people say, well, it was the Jews who killed Jesus. No, we all killed Jesus. All of us, all of our sin drove him to the cross. Every one of us. 
So it's not just like, oh, the Jewish people, his brothers rejected him. No, all of us, all of mankind, all of humanity rejected the Savior of the world. And Jesus is the Savior who came and, were, and was betrayed by us. We did the betraying. And so as we read this, we understand what Jesus did for us. We're the brothers who threw Jesus into the tomb. We're just like Joseph's brothers who hated him because he had favor from the Father. And we, we desired to strip him and throw him into a well and leave him for dead. Where also we see this, this story continuing is that he was sold for silver. Is it all right if I do some teaching? Is that okay? He sold for silver. Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver. The greed and sin of humanity sold out the very Savior we needed. We see this in collaboration. I'll move quickly. Number four, he's cast into a pit. Right, but he comes out alive. Joseph cast into a pit. They thought it was going to be his tomb forever. They said, we'll leave him here. He'll die here until they see uh, the Ishmaelites coming across. We're going to kill him. All right, we cast Jesus into the tomb, his pit, thinking he's going to stay there. But three, three days later, he rises again. There's a connection here. There's a foreshadowing. God said, your Savior is going to look like this. The, the, the things you thought were going to stop him are not going to stop him. He's going to continue to rise. There's a, there's a psalm. And I'll do this uh, quickly for the sake of time and space. So Psalm 105 goes through like the history of the nation of Israel, talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then it goes starting in around uh, verse 16, 17. Now we'll do 17 through 22. It talks a lot about what happened to Joseph. And there's a huge connection between Joseph's story and Jesus' story. It says that in, in Psalm 105 that Joseph's hands and feet and neck were bound with iron. He was wounded. It says his hands and feet were wounded with iron. It, it, it points to us of Jesus, whose hands and feet would be wounded with irons, iron of nails that would be stuck through his hands and feet, showing that Jesus would suffer in the same way. Punishment he did not deserve. Accused of sin he did not commit. And they killed him for it. They bound him up. Number six, he's lied about. Right? He tried to rape me. No, he didn't. We know he didn't. Right? Jesus, he's a blasphemer. He said he's going to do this and do that. They lied about him. They lied about him. They would turn their back on him. Number seven, he's the savior of all of Israel and Gentiles alike or Jews and non-Jews. Right? Joseph, not only did he save his family, but he saved the entire nation of Egypt and all the other neighboring nations. As they came to him for food and sustenance, he provided for them. Not, he didn't say, no, only for this group of people, no, only for this section, only for these type of people. He said, anybody who's willing to come, I will feed you. And it demonstrates Jesus as well. He doesn't, he doesn't ostracize or alienate anybody. He says, anybody who will come to me seeking the bread of life, I will give the bread of life. Anybody who's hungry and thirsty, who is in a dry place, who is in a famine, who is starving, I, if you'll come to me, I will feed you. But do you know that, there, that some people, uh, even though they were starving, didn't go to Egypt to get food? We, we have a historical account. We know that they found tombs uh, during that era and time place where they found people who had filled their stomachs with pearls and with rocks trying to take away their own hunger. 
Not everybody went to find food in Egypt. Not everybody's going to come searching to Jesus to find nourishment. But Jesus says, if you'll come, I'll feed you. If you come, I'll feed you. Started in verse uh, Psalm 105, 19, says that they were, both, they were both tried, tested. We know that Jesus was tested in the wilderness. You know, we know that God tested, the Bible says, Psalm 105, 19, that God tested Joseph's character to see if his shoulders were wide enough to bear the burden that God was about to put on him. We see, in, in, uh, we see again in Psalm 105, that he would become the ruler of his enemies. Right? The people of Egypt throughout the entire uh, scripture were always known as enemies of the people of God. And yet Joseph, as he is in a a slave state, becomes the ruler over them. We know that Jesus entered in as a servant and became ruler over his enemies. That we know that... um, they, that Joseph, and I just said it right now, but Joseph had the bread of life. Ooh, he had the bread of life, and Jesus was the bread of life. You see, the, you see the connection? Yes, say yes. There's a lot here. He lost communication with his father. Joseph, for 20 years, that was dead. Jesus lost communication with his father for the first time in all of eternity at the cross. And it says our, his, our sin came upon him and God could not look upon sin. So he turned and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he lost connection. That, that is more severe than any type of relationship that we could be pulled away from. Think about husband, wife, parents and children losing connection with them. And in that moment, what Jesus experienced for us, being con- disconnected, losing communication with the eternal God that he had never been separated from for all of eternity, he did it for us. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen because Joseph, it happened to Joseph. He was saying, look, the Savior, the one who's going to redeem you, will lose connection with what appears to be his inheritance because Joseph's connection was connected. Joseph's inheritance was connected to his father, Jacob. He was separated from his inheritance. Jesus said, I am willing to separate from my inheritance so that I can bring everyone in and let them be a part of my inheritance. So that I can sh- they can share with me. That he said, I would, I- I'll lay my life down, even be separated from my father, which is unthinkable, unimaginable, and he does it for us. Number 12, favor. The Better yet, the appearance of favor. It looked like his, the, the favor that he had from his father was stripped from him. So it looked like uh, when, when his brothers ripped the jacket off of him, said, this, this demonstrates that our father loves you more than us. They ripped it off of him, said, he doesn't love you anymore. They did the same thing to Jesus as he hung on the cross. If you're really the son of God, take yourself down from there. If you're really the king and, the, and all-powerful, call angels down to, to save you. See, it looks like you're not favored at all by God. You said that you're favored. You said that he loves you. You said that you and God, are, the Father, are one, but you're a liar. They tried to strip him of his favor. But they, they, they couldn't actually take away the favor, just the, just the appearance of it. They stripped Jesus naked on the cross, challenged his favor. But they really couldn't take away the favor of God. And at the cross, Jesus, not only was his, the appearance of his favor stripped, but his his, his favor he shared with us at the cross. 
Number 13, their robes were dipped in blood. Right, Joseph's robe to cover up the lie of his death of the brothers took the favorable robe, dipped it in goat's blood and took it to him and said he was ripped apart. The Bible says that Jesus, as he was being beaten, his, his body was soaked in blood. His robes were soaked in blood. But I also think that it reveals to us partially about Jesus' second coming. It helps me think about Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to read this to you, starting in verse 11. It says this, speaking of Jesus, and this is John writing in the book of Revelation. says, I saw heaven standing open, and there, there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. I love that. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And has a, he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. And he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. This is helping us see the picture of Jesus. Jesus will be returning again. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who's gone through all of these things, betrayed, sent by God, became a ruler. He was cast into a pit, but he came out alive. He was lied about, but he's our Savior. He was tested, and he proved to be righteous. Ruler of enemies, another way of saying it is he went in, a servant came out, a king. See, Joseph went in as a slave, imprisoned slave, came out as a ruler of the people, demonstrating, look, this is what the Savior is going to look like. He's going to come in not as, a, as a, a champion, but as a servant. But as he leaves, he comes out as the ruler. What's crazy is the people of God had, these, had this story of Joseph. In fact, they held the story of Joseph in high esteem, but they couldn't see Jesus in the story of Joseph. Had they had seen it, they would have said, look, just like Joseph was a servant who came out of king, maybe our Jesus, who is serving us and washing our feet, he's actually the king, the ruler, the sustainer of all things. Not only does Jesus enter in as king, he also comes in as the reconciler. He reconciles his brothers to himself. Joseph comes in. His brothers are actually even terrified that after the, the death of Israel or Jacob, they, they lie. We don't really know if this actually happened or not, but they come to him after his father, their father dies and say, look, uh, our father's dying wish was that you would really forgive us because they didn't believe that he actually had forgiven them when he came to them and wept over them. And this is kind of what we think, too, when we, come, we approach Jesus. We're like, would you really forgive us for all the things we've done, for all the wrong that we've committed, all the lies, all the cheating, all the backstabbing, all the things we've done in secret, all the things we've done in the dark? Could you really love us? And from the story of Joseph, we see how complete his love and forgiveness was for his brothers. That he held nothing against them. He tells them, it was, even though you sold me, I still love you. Because it was God's plan. God's plan. Jesus said, even though your sin took me to the cross, I still love you. Even though you turned your back on me and you betrayed me, I still love you. I forgive you. He reconciled. I love what Romans 5.10 says, that even while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death, death of his son, Jesus. What I love also is the picture of grace that we see in the story. 
of Joseph. It tells us in Genesis 43, 34, that as they sat and began to break bread together and eat together, it says that Joseph went to, he had one full brother. He had the same father and the same mother. It was his brother, Benjamin. And as he was sitting there, he began to bestow so much, so many gifts and abundant food on him. It said they gave him five times as amount of food as he gave to the other brothers. He gave five times more clothing than he did to the other brothers. Why is that important? Because five is the number of grace. He was bestowing grace upon his full brother. Why is that important? I think that it demonstrates the fact that this, we live in a world where God is gracious and merciful to everybody, whether they, they call Jesus their Lord and Master or not. The fact that the sun has rises, the fact that people are, are, have food in their, in their stomachs, clothes on their backs, the fact that, that people are living a good life even though they don't know Jesus demonstrates the goodness and grace of God. But here's the picture. As we say we want to be a full part of your body, we want to be a full part of your, of your family, we submit, we want to be full brothers and sisters in Christ, there is an abundance of grace that comes to us. There is an abundance of provision. There is an abundance of faithfulness and, and generosity and, 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 and a powerful move of us as we say we want to be fully into this family. And we see that through a demonstration of his grace toward not only his, all of his brothers, but especially his youngest brother, saying, Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus is our older brother, and as we submit to him and come under his lordship, we are like the younger brother. We receive an abundance of his grace and his mercy and love for us. And like we see throughout the story of Genesis, when it's every time the second brother is actually getting the blessing, the second, we see it, we see it with Jacob and Esau, we see it as Joseph's sons come in, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he comes in for a blessing from Jacob, and Jacob crosses his hands and he blesses the younger more than the, more than the, the older, demonstrating that uh, Jesus would be like the older brother who, who says, I am willing to share my inheritance with the younger generation. And it's through the cross that the blessing comes. As the father Jacob said, I, in, I inherit your children as my children and give them an inheritance that would only go to my children, now are coming to your children. That as the cross happens, there's a blessing that comes on the, gen, the second born. Demonstrating again that it is a second birth, that is being born again that brings the blessing of God. And it allows us to be the second born into the family of God and we receive the same inheritance as the firstborn. Isn't that beautiful? I know that's a lot. I know that that's... There's a lot there to unpack as we read throughout the entire scripture, but here's what I want us to take away this morning as we see the semblance of Jesus in the story of Joseph. As, we, as it reveals to us the beauty of what Jesus did for us and the, the beauty of, of his redemption. My takeaway, hopefully your takeaway is this, that it helps me understand my betrayal and his grace that I truly did sin against Jesus. I truly rejected him, and yet he still loved me. When we hated him, he loved us. When we betrayed him, he fought for us. When we planned evil, he turned it to good. When, he, uh, when we turned our backs on, on him, he still provided for us. He continues to reveal himself to us even when we weren't even looking for him. He reveals himself to us. See, when Joseph's brothers entered the room, they weren't looking for their, their brother Joseph. They thought it was dead, and yet he said, I am here. Even though you're not looking for me, I'm here for you. How beautiful that Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm willing to reveal myself to you even when you're not looking for me. 
Even when you're not searching for me, I love you so much, I'm willing to create space for an opportunity for you to know who I am. He reveals himself to us even when we don't recognize him. He forgives us. He restores us when we don't deserve it. So my takeaway, hopefully your takeaway this morning, is that no matter where you're at today, where you're, what you're thinking, what you've done, no matter how sinful or wrong or twisted your life has been, Christ's arms are open for all of us today. All of us. All of us. No matter what's, what you've done, there is a grace and a forgiveness for all of us who would come searching for Jesus today. And if we're willing to say, God, we recognize you and we accept your forgiveness and we, we desire to be restored and forgiven. Even if, if you're a follower or not a follower, Jesus is calling us closer to him today. Jesus is calling us to be a part of his family today. And whatever you're dealing with, come to Jesus. He is the only one who has the bread of life. He's the only one that can restore us, that can redeem us, that can provide for us. And he is good, he is loving, he is generous, he is gracious, and he's forgiving. He wants to clothe us in his goodness and his righteousness. He wants to give us his favor. He wants to cover us and bring us into the favor of God. I sincerely believe it. And this is what we see as, as we read through the story of Joseph. We see Jesus every turn, every step of the way. As the worship team comes, we close our time together. We read these stories, and they're not just stories for stories' sake. They're helping us look for Jesus and point to Jesus and what he would do for us. So no matter how Severe our sin, he's willing to forgive if we'll come to him. If we're willing to look for him, to seek his face, to submit our hearts. God is a good God. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. God is so good to provide so many examples of our Savior and stories. And we're going to continue to see as we read throughout Scripture, we'll see Jesus. We'll see Jesus in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. We'll see Jesus throughout the entire book of the old the books of the Old Testament. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His Son and He wanted us to, to have insight of what, what Jesus would be doing and what we should be looking for. And even though we're totally lost and ab abandoned to our own sin, he loves us. Even though we hated him, he loved us. Even though he, he was rejected, he pursued us. He suffered and died for us. To redeem us. To love us. To say today... No matter what you've done, I have love for you. I want you to come to me. I want you to find hope in me and life in me. I want you to find joy in me. I'm the only one that can get you through the stuff you're going through. 
So turn to me. Don't turn to other things. Don't look for other ways of escape. There's only one hope, one way, one voice leading to the Father. And it's Jesus today. He wants to cover you today. He wants to love on you today. So for all of us this morning, I just want to pray a prayer of covering over each person here today. That you would truly know the love of God. That you would fully understand what he's done for you. That you continue to surrender your hearts to him more fully, more devoted to Jesus, the Savior who went through all of these things for you and me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray over every heart here today that, God, you would speak to them. You would reveal more of yourself to them as they come seeking you. That, God, even in our moments when we weren't pursuing you, God, you still showed up, revealed yourself to us, and we're grateful. And I pray that, God, those of us who have seen you, that, God, we would, we would seek you even more. And that, God, we would desire and we would understand that you alone have the things we need in this life. God, only you are the bread of life. Everything else will leave us hungry. Everything else will leave us abandoned, lost. We come to you today. God, cover every heart, every mind. God, have your way in us. We submit our lives to you. We surrender. We bow our knees to you, Jesus. You are king. You are ruler. You are master. We're grateful. We thank you so much. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise belongs to you, Jesus. Work in us. Speak to us through your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church,